people who identify as Christian specifically in light of the way our country has been founded and formed um, should be grappling with this moment. Hi, friends. This is Under God. I'm Isaiah Lewis. And I'm Jackie Newsom. And we are two outsiders who are coming together to question the text and build community together. Thanks for listening. Thanks. At at bottom, what is frustrating me specifically about Black Christian folk is that we are forgetting that this Biden-Harris situation is, is still empire, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is still toxic. This mm-hmm. is still oppressive capitalism. This is still oppressive racism. This is still oppressive, you know, um, ableism. This is still oppression against women, oppression against queer folk. Like this is, they are not Moses. Mm -hmm. right they are not jesus they are in no way shape or form the savior and i and i know what happens when when you're in and i can speak to this because i've been in it when you're in unhealthy or abusive relationships the next partner you have who's just like slightly better you're like oh my goodness this this is it this is heaven and it's like no this is just not as abusive that does not Mm -hmm. make this heaven or appropriate or okay. But I don't feel any hope in this moment because I have not experienced killer cop Kamala as someone who is repentant, right? Or has truly changed Mm. her ways from that behavior. I experience her as someone who does things that are politically expedient. Mm And perhaps even if it is her heart to do sort of the things that she's doing now, or she's saying she will do now, specifically when we talk about reforming the criminal legal system, the fact that she didn't do it before and was willing to rise to whatever she rose to on the backs of bodies, mm-hmm. on the backs of human beings, right? And specifically black and brown bodies, mm-hmm. people who look just like her is a problem for me. And so I'm having a hard time saying, but we can be hopeful. And this is, this is because I have a new view. In 2008, I didn't have this language. I didn't have this vision, right? I didn't have this lens because we should have been saying these things in 2008. And I think what has happened with a lot of millennials, and I, and I want to credit Professor Robin McGee, who uh, was a law professor uh, in Minneapolis at, at a law school. I'm, I'm blanking. We are, we are um, personal friends. Um, which is why I can't, I'm like blanking on her school, but she is an academic and I want want to put some respect on her name. (laughs) Um, But she made this point to me years ago. And she said, I, she said, I predicted what would happen with young voters is that they would come of age. They would see what Barack Obama was all about. They would see, right. The ways in which the political system does not yield to progressive liberal radical thought. And they would be disappointed and from then on be disappointed in, in the system. And mm-hmm. I think in some ways that is true because I, I was excited. I mean, my president is black, which was like a Jeezy song that I was bumping that song in the gym at NYU every day for months, even in 2012, 
I was so happy at the symbolism. It was enough for me for him to be there. And then we watched that second term and we watched all the things that he didn't do. And we reflected on all the ways he didn't stand up for skin folk. And we thought about the wave, right? Because when we, when we want to think about the new wave and the Black Lives Matter wave, all of those things happen under his watch, right? When we want to think about this new moment, not new because these things haven't happened, new in the sense of renewed. When we think about this moment, we think about the ways in which this man, the leader of the free world, air quotes, took this sort of middle of the road stance. There was a time where all I wanted was to be invited to like a DNC, right? Or to be able to pray over some sort of event like that. And now I'm like, how confusing and how dangerous. Because while I pray for justice, right? Or while I pray for liberation, it is so dangerous to connect yourself with empire as if empire will be the entity that frees us. Mm -hmm. So I think if you are a Christian, and for me, right, in my in sort of my embodiment, if you are a Black person and you're a Christian, if you're a Black person and a Christian and you went to an HBCU or you're part of a Greek letter organization, I am not suggesting that you can't be excited about the representation. I am suggesting that we know that representation isn't enough. And I'm really concerned that your excitement is going to overshadow your criticism do I think God did this? I think God is still saying we're, we're not getting it right. We're missing the mark. Mm -hmm. Because in Washington, D.C., at the same time this inauguration was happening, there are people not eating. There were people experiencing homelessness. There were people that were abused and hurt in the like, creation or setup of, of this event alone. This is, this is still empire. But like we are at a moment and we are at a time where we where we have this renewed focus on all of the ways in which empire is oppressive, right? Like we just, we just for context for our listeners, we're recording just after MLK Day. And I saw a lot of good commentary that I hadn't seen in the past, which was one, you know, live by the MLK quote you post today, <laughs> right? For the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. And two, let's remember King as a radical. Let's remember him as, as a revolutionary. Let's remember him as an anti-capitalist. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's remember him as someone who was against war. And to and to put those things at the forefront um, is to call out and finger wag at Kamala Harris's behavior, Barack Obama's behavior. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it is to have something to say about that. It is not good enough. Charity is not good enough. We've talked about this over and over again on this podcast. It's solidarity or bust. It's real redistribution or or certainly don't put God's name in it. Mm -hmm. I selected Jonah because I think Jonah is referenced a lot in the pop culture churchy circles that I'm in. There's a lot of fun jokes made about Jonah the short hand thing that people know about Jonah is like Jonah stuck in the belly of the whale. And it's like, was it really a whale? How could you be stuck in the belly? What do these things mean? It was popular enough for me to care about. And so I hope it's popular enough for you all, our listeners to care about. So that's why I picked it. The lectionary text is 
really just a set of scriptures that are pre-picked for the year. We do not pick them. We are not on the lectionary committee. This happened long, long, long ago. Not sure how many queer folk or colored folk were a part of the process, but you know what? We're going to use it for the sake of ease. We get four options or so every week. Um, and so that's what we do. So anyway, Jonah chapter three, the lectionary text has us reading verses one through five and then skipping to 10, but we are going to buck the system because we're radical badasses. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to read Jonah chapter three, the whole thing. We read from the Common English Bible because we think it's accessible. Uh, we think the language is pretty clear and we enjoy it. So Jonah chapter three, Jonah chapter three. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started in the city, walking one day, and he cried out, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. When word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself with mourning clothes and sat in ashes. Then he announced in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything, no grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes and let them call upon God forcefully and let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. He thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them and he didn't do it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be Thanks to God. God. You go first. An enormous city. Mm. Stripped himself of his robe. Violence that's under their control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. This is where the CEB gets a little, little prosaic. <laughs> right? Because I'm like, uh. <laughs> and, he, and he didn't do it. The end. Um, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. Yeah. Who knows? The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Mm. No grazing and no drinking water. Jesus. No human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything. Like, okay, bro. I mean, really? And the people of Nineveh believed God. Mm. I feel like we might have just rewrote the 
same passage. I mean, as and... we do, as we do, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you just just took it apart and put it together randomly. As we do, it's all good. Okay, I need to look up how how does it end in other translations? This, he didn't do it; it's falling a little flat for me. I mean, understanding that, like <laughs> understanding like the text doesn't end that way anyway, because it's all one big scroll. But like, dang, and he didn't do it. That was it. <laughs> New international version, it ends, verse 10 reads, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented He relented, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Yeah, that's better. Much more satisfying. <laughs> I mean, so I chose this text because I wanted to think about, talk about, question, or, or appreciate verse 10, the, the cha- changing of God's mind. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably also some meat in the very beginning of the Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Jonah gets stuck in the belly of the whale, if you will, because he's disobedient or because he doesn't go. He tries to run, right? God is trying to send him to Nineveh and Jonah's like, no, nope, I'm good. And then sort of gets out and decides like, I'm going to do the thing. And I just, you know, I love a good redemption story. I love a good forgiveness story. And I love a good God changing God's mind story because it, especially in the Old Testament, because it just continues to bolster my position that God is not this like evil monster that some people want God to be. Um, God is not necessarily just this master bully lording over us. Mm-hmm. And I get the dangers of like threatening violence in order to get people to, ch- to change their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, don't like that at all. Right. Um, don't can't remember the context of why Nineveh's in hot water with God to begin with. So, yeah, I guess I have a lot of questions, but I just, I just really liked God changing God's mind. And I just really liked the second chance for Jonah. And so that's, that's why I picked it just to put that out there. Can I just say that Jonah is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's just delightful. Really? Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I'm a weirdo, but like, no, no, stop. Like, <laughs> like it's up there, like Jonah and Job and mm. like Ecclesiastes. Those are some of my favorite, favorite books. Can I start giving please, context? Please give us context because Lord knows I didn't have none. Anyway, okay. <laughs> yes. So so the thing that I, I love about Jonah, there are many things I love about Jonah, but the first one is that it's a novel. We are reading a novel and I don't think that we pay enough attention to the fact that that is the genre that we're reading here. Because it makes all the difference in the world. It's not just a novel. It's a satire. And the fact that satire can show up, like comedy can be part of our our scriptures. Like we just don't pay attention to that enough that, I mean, there are a lot of funny bits in the Bible, but this is a long, big, funny bit. Like tone matters, right? So like the stuff that sounds really intense, like when you know it's part of a comedy, like it changes how it's read at least i think so Mm -hmm. so this was written somewhere between the 
sixth and the fourth centuries uh, BC. So this is a period of time. It's called the the early post-exilic period. So basically, um, after people have returned from Babylonian captivity, they're kind of recreating a sense of their, themselves and their Jewish identity, but they're still being occupied. So it's first the Persians and then the Greeks. So during this time, while they're trying to create their identity, they come up with a lot of stories. And they're stories that, that have heroes that are like, so Esther and Daniel are two examples of, of stories where there are heroes that are persecuted because they're Jewish. And there's, there's some sort of reversal that happens in the story where the thing that the persecutors were going to do to punish uh, the heroes because they were Jewish, the tables end up turning. So the persecutors' punishment ends up on themselves and the, uh, the protagonist ends up with a happy ending, right? And so it's this, this triumphant story of uh, evading persecution and being an awesome Jewish hero. Jonah's doing the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hilarious and it's supposed to be the opposite and hilarious um and i just think that's really cool so in this in this story like everybody's more pious like than jonah like all of these ninevites so so in the story nineveh is the capital of assyria assyria is where all the bad guys live so Basically, Assyria was at one time th this huge superpower, but that was centuries ago at this point. And so it's a stand-in for empire generally of captors, right? And so that's important, but it's also intentionally far in the past. So it's not like, you know, we're talking about the, the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks. Like in the 8th century, you have all of these, like, all of what we call the minor prophets are condemning other nations because for you know they're very legitimately angry that people are oppressing them and so they're saying basically like a, like a pox be upon you and your family so this is the opposite of the books that they're used to both in terms of being a romance like this isn't a romance at all it's a satire and all of the like jonah isn't the hero he's also not a very good prophet like literally like when you read other prophetic books, there's a lot of preaching in them. Like that's what the book is. And here we have one a one-sentence sermon that he preaches a third of the way into the city. Like he basically, he doesn't even get halfway into the city. He's not in, in the middle of the city. He just stops at some point when he's tired and then he says one sentence, which is just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And everybody panics, <laughs> like everybody in the city, in a, in a city that is three days walk long, apparently have heard what he has to say in this one sentence on a street <laughs> corner. Like everybody's like, what? And it's so, and they're so like, they're so repentant that even... Their king, their king strips himself naked and then puts on rags and sits in ashes. And then he tells everybody that the cows have to do it too. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, 
Ain't nobody eating or drinking today. <laughs> yeah, the ca- the cows must repent. The cows know what they did. Like it's intentionally over the top. Why is this comedy? Like why? Why do it this way? What do we get from this? Um we get fish vomit. I think that's pretty funny. Oh, well. Okay. Like you don't think so? <laughs> The innocence in your you don't think so was amazing. I mean, he literally just gets puked up on shore. That's hilarious. No? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, it's physical comedy. Um, <laughs> okay. What's funny is, like, Jonah's going around being like, this tree is nice, but then you killed the tree, and I would rather die than live without the tree. Like, he's he's melodramatic. And God sort of teases him, like, at the end of the story. Like, uh, okay, so a recap of, of what happens in this story. We've got Jonah, whose name means dove, and he's the son of Amittai, which is, like, the truth. So we have this guy who's who's a symbol of peace and his father's name is truth and he wants more than anything to avoid god's peace <laughs> like he wants to like he wants Nineveh to offer some type of redemption for the Ninevites and he's like wanting to have no part in it like there's irony in his name why wait so why is Nineveh a problem why is Nineveh a problem yeah like why would he avoid them uh, Nineveh is the, the like the city of his oppressors. So the Assyrians have. So he's like, "Fuck this shit! I'm not helping them." Exactly. So that's that's part of what. Sorry, I should have made that more obvious. Yeah, he just he doesn't want to help them because he's his whole people have been oppressed by them, and he's like, "Yeah, go die in a fire. That sounds great. I don't want to help you. I don't want to do anything." And that makes it a lot more, it makes a lot more sense why he's doing everything he can to stay away from them, right? Because he doesn't want to see redemption on them. That's his job. Like God has ordained or ordered or incurred whatever language we want to use. Like that's his role, right? He is supposed to do that. Like God is telling him, Jonah, this is your mission. And you don't have a choice about choosing to accept it. Yeah. And he's like, screw that. Let's, let's see. I'm going to go like... Nineveh is in sort of like present day Iraq, I think. And Jonah gets on a boat headed for Spain. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's it's funny because it's it's again, it's over the top. He's like, Yeah, I'm I'm going literally to the other side of the known world because I'm not what I'm not doing is going to Nineveh. Mm-hmm. Right? He's in this boat, like there's this storm everybody knows like before he does that they're in trouble because he's asleep because he's not paying attention like and then he's like simultaneously like arrogant about the fact that he's like like i'm a hebrew i worship the lord the god of heaven who made the sea and the dry land and they're like what did you do like Mm. this is clearly your fault and then he's like yeah throw me into the sea like and that'll stop it so like 
he's not interested. They're more interested in saving his life than he is because he, in some ways, kind of gets out of having to go to Nineveh if he just drowns himself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and God won't let him do that. like he thinks that he's throwing himself overboard like he thinks he's gonna die and instead he gets swallowed by a fish which is funny like but it's also like i'm over here trying to die and somehow some huge magical fish swallows me doesn't chew me doesn't kill me just swallows me yeah and you stay there for three days and three nights. You're just in this fish. But I read this this really beautiful theological reflection on Jonah. But it was talking about how this this space of the of the fish of the whale is sort of you know it protects Jonah from himself in some ways. Like this, while the story is in many ways a funny one. Like, this is a moment in which, like, he, this could be considered a suicide attempt. Like, Mm -hmm. throwing himself overboard, Mm -hmm. like, and God saves him from that. Like, and gives him a place to land, a place to be safe Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. until he is ready to kind of talk to God. Like, to cry out, I cry out to the Lord in my distress which he wasn't doing before like god was doing a lot of calling to him and he was running in the opposite direction i think that's that's part of why the story is so i guess funny to me is that like jonah is this bitter suicidal character who will do anything to avoid god's love Mm. get in here and preach this word because you (laughs) want it now you there come on doc like, well, I, I think in some ways I was trying to avoid being personal. Like, I love this story. But because God won't let you, Jonah. <laughs> right. Well, so here's the thing. Like, for a long time, I thought that my name was going to be Jonah. Mm. Um, like, I it, it took me a, a really long time to figure out what my name was. And figure out isn't really the right word to describe that process it's Mm -hmm. it's a lot less of a intellectual exercise you know the wand chooses the wizard harry like it's one of those kinds of things like it's not really a decision it's yeah yeah you know far more mystical and interesting than that um but anyway i thought my name was going to be jonah because because i felt like i was bitter and suicidal and like there is something we can we can really sum this up right because i came into this text thinking very much this is a text about one thing and and it's and it's and it's not in many ways right or it's far more complicated because i am someone who doesn't typically want to save the oppressor right that's not where my interests lie yeah screw the oppressor and right and so this text is sort of complicating that right and i think it is being nuanced and it's not like okay just forgive everyone and blah 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 like i don't think that that's a fair read of it but it is complicating that and i think we can let that complication sit there right 
But it seems to me for the moment that we're in, for what listeners need, for what I need is, is to hear what you're about to say, which is really a conversation about what God does with us as individuals, how God continues to protect us, right? How God continues to be present and show up and how there is opportunity to say no, to run, to fight, to hide, to be angry, to be suicidal, and God still be ever present. And the ways in which God is ever present with Jonah is are the ways in which God is ever present with Nineveh, right? And there seems to be this acting or this game or this hyperbole about God, right? And this destruction or whatever. But at the end of the day, God, like God is there, right? And then when we are ready or able, and perhaps it takes a little push to get it together, God is like, bet. I always love this story because, yeah, because Jonah was bitter and suicidal and he was going to do everything he could to avoid God's love. He was going to go literally in the opposite direction. Um, and God saves him over and over again with this sense of humor. Um, like there's, there's a, there's a sort of gentleness about it, even if it is, you know, whale vomit, like, <laughs> like there's something funny about that. And I really thought that that was my life. Like, I thought that that was sort of my calling. That's, that's how I understood myself as somebody who is kind of embittered and just constantly depressed, suicidal, um, that that was just kind of what I was. Um, but that I was like called to be some sort of a, some sort of a clap back to the church, essentially, that I was called to go to the church who I understood as as my oppressor um, and try to speak some type of good news to them um, to say, I'm still here <laughs> and people like me are here and we are the church and you don't actually get to destroy us. Like the, you know, there was a reason why uh, Jonah was resentful is because the Assyrians were trying to obliterate his people right so like there's a reason why i was holding a grudge too and i felt like yeah like if god's gonna drag me kicking and screaming back to church you know god's gonna have to drag me kicking and screaming but mm -hmm. like that's you know that was how i understood the relationship is one of some type of sort of humorous strife but as you may have noticed my name isn't jonah i did i did notice that did pick pick that up mm -hmm. yeah my name isn't isn't Jonah because the truth of the matter is that was the name that I would have given myself, but that's not the name God gave me. Mm. God gave me the name Isaiah, which was a name that I I felt like I couldn't choose for myself. Mm. I couldn't offer myself. I said that's too big of a name, too good of a name. If if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be called something to do with a prophet, it might as well be a little prophet, a, a satiric prophet. And that's not what God gave me. God gave me poetry. Um, mm. God gave me one of the longest books of the Bible with, you know, hundreds of years in its pages. Like, God gave me good news, condemning news at times. Like, Isaiah is, is complicated and, and filled with, you know, there's some judgment in there too, but some of the most beautiful passages in the Bible are in Isaiah. 
And I could not have given myself that name because that's not a name that I thought I was worth. And I think that's something that you see actually in the book of Jonah is that Jonah, that, that Nineveh is not the only one who is saved in this story. Mm. That Jonah is saved as well. Jonah is saved from his own smallness. You know, we end up in the story like, like in, in, in Doctor Who, there's this line, this kind of famous line. And for once, just once, everybody lives. And we get that in Jonah. Like, once, just once, everybody lives to the end of the story. The only understanding of, of God that Jonah has is one of of judgment. So that's what he's running away from. And that's what he shows up to. Like, that's that's the only word that he has to give the Ninevites. And at the end of the story, Jonah has this sort of moment where he needs to embrace the reconciliation that is God, that there's mercy here, that it's overflowing both on the Ninevites and on him. But it ends in this way that's it's a rhetorical question because there's complexity here because it doesn't make everything better. Like the Assyrians, the Ninevites are still oppressors, but they, they might have repented. So I don't know. I like the story because it's so complicated. It doesn't in some ways make anything better, but it does show God to be one of mercy. Like this is a really merciful story. And I think that the fact that I'm not named Jonah is also a mercy (laughs) because I couldn't have imagined a bigger name for myself like Isaiah. Mm. I couldn't have named myself Isaiah and God did. Mm. And Jonah ends up being a dove, even if he didn't want to be like, he did end up being a force for peace. He did end up being the son of truth. He just didn't want to (laughs) be. And that's okay. And I love that here, that truth, that honesty, that realness, that, that like the ways in which we mm, are caught up in being small. Oh my God. Get me together. Get me together, Isaiah. Jesus. I've just, I have been just like not feeling God, beefing with God. And like, this is, I really do hope and pray whether you're churched, de-churched, unchurched, not a believer, you listen to this because you're a friend or because it has a weird name, like whatever you need, my hope, my prayer, my prayer, you don't have to pray, my prayer, my desire is that you it's that you got it from this one because there's there's so much opportunity for liberation, liberation from simplicity, liberation from being small, liberation from being an oppressor and being a there's just so much for everyone here and I'm just so grateful and you know we love you listeners and we are grateful we are when we say thank you for listening we mean it um we do we do and and when we give our benediction we mean it um when we send you off we mean it we want you to hold that for as long as you can so you want to send them off I do okay Oh, beloved, just go. Live as free people. And in the living, keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. I'm very open for our 
comedic highlight being fish vomit since you were tickled by that as long as there's some judgy eyes inserted by me because <laughs> my eyes are like okay um 